Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. Hey, this is Scott from Film Trooper. We're just going to cut right into it because this is actually part two of the episode, What I Learned from My Hiatus from Film Trooper, with my special guest um, co-hosting this episode with me, um, Kyle Irwin from the Backyard Space Opera podcast. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it. But, oh wait, forgot. What you'll see in the next couple of weeks is a, a handful of podcast episodes being released um, with Ron Newcomb as the host. Uh, he's the indie film coach as well as the founder of the VIP Film Summit. And you can find more information about that at the VIPFilmSummit.com. Um, with all that said, let's get on to the part two of what I learned from my hiatus from Film Trooper. Um, this is actually a real case world. I had a, another Film Trooper um, follower, he he said, okay, I got my film and I've been offered by these guys to do like a 50-50 split on it, where for two years, they're just, they're just going to take my film and, and put it on all the digital platforms. And I get, you know, whatever, 50%. I go, well, let's really break this down, um, how this distribution company makes their money. So they, if they're able to acquire, say they acquire a thousand titles, because, you know, everybody's making a film now and it's like, it's you blink your eye, it's like there's easily a thousand titles you could probably acquire. Oh, yeah. As long as it has some sort of genre or something you can do. And 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 you and I start this distribution company, right? Mm-hmm. And we say, we just go out there and introduce ourselves to all these um, filmmakers based off what we see online. or And we say, let us just, you know, for a minimal fee that you give us, maybe like a hundred bucks or something like that to, to, get, to get going, We'll make a 50-50 split and we'll get your film onto all these platforms. A lot of these platforms is nothing more than that you can do yourself for free. Like you can get your film onto Amazon for free um, for a minimal amount of fee. You could probably, you know, you, you get it onto iTunes and, uh, and some all these other different, you know, platforms all over the place. So we as distributors, we probably maybe broker a deal with all these different um, video on demand outlets. That is simply just like we're just going to upload a lot of these files we have uh, to these these different companies. And if as the revenue comes in, we get 50 percent and we give the filmmakers 50 percent. Now, on average, when you don't have like big stars or notable any really marketing behind your film, you might be lucky to get maybe like five thousand dollars that you make on your film. That's it. Five thousand dollars. But you but you as a filmmaker might have invested 15,000, 25,000 more. And all you're seeing is $5,000 return. But you're not actually getting 5,000. That's what you made through this deal with this distribution company. And the distribution company would get 2,500 and you get 2,500. But you did all the hard work and you bled, you bled to make your film out there. And the most you made with this company was $2,500. Now, if you take $2,500 times 1,000, Remember, we are the distribution company, and we have a thousand titles that are all making us about twenty five hundred dollars each. That's two and a half million dollars. So that's well, you know how. What? Yeah, you've convinced me. I think we should make a distribution company. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but the same applies for like a book publishing company. Yeah, uh, which is which yeah. is something you and I have talked about. Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> so there's uh you know even if you even if it's like an you make it even attractive like seventy thirty like we'll take thirty percent and you take you know. Um, whatever seventy percent. If if the film if the artists are doing all the legwork or they're taking they're they're bleeding for it, they've taken all the risk to make all this stuff happen. These publishers and distribution companies, if they have a system in place where they're just taking your title 
and they know how to like you know upload it correctly to all these different sites for you know an hour it takes them to do that and they and they're just you know they're, they're going to be able to be profitable you know and if one film does really really well they're like oh wow that title did great you know we made 50 percent off that one you know didn't even know that was going to make a million dollars you know yeah so with that said there's that's why there's a difference between um the filmmakers making their money making their living off the fees that are based on the budget of the project versus um, a distribution company making money off just the backs of artists. Um, and I said the same thing about the sports, the extreme action sports industry. You see that a lot. You see like they, uh, um, a clothing company will sign or sponsor some skateboard kid for a couple of years until they break their leg and they're, they're worth nothing to them. And then the contract ends and they go to the next kid. You know, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's like that's kind of how this stuff works. Versus the whole concept is if the film is an advertisement, like um, how do you sell your action figure, and um, and that's sort of the hiatus I took was because I decided to go into real estate um, because of a number of factors. Number one was a year and a half ago my dad died. And he died at 72. He was on, he was, he was like, number of episode 50, he was my guest on. So you can listen to that episode if you wanted to. Um, I forget exactly. Maybe, hold on for a second. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah. <laughs> really? um, I interviewed him for Voices of Veterans um, one year. Uh, there was a special, like, um, combination of other podcasters who were reaching out to veterans and, and he was a Vietnam vet, so I said, oh, let's, you know, I never really sat That's down cool. and talked to you, you know. So, but it's what yeah. what came out, yeah, fifty one number episode fifty one. What was fascinating about that is now I have this this file that is a candid conversation I just have with my dad, and that my whole family has as like sort of a this keepsake, you know, that exists that wouldn't exist otherwise. Mm-hmm. So from that, my dad's passing. He died at 72. My f- grandfather died at like 68. And I'm turning 46 this year. And I thought to myself, I might have like 30 plus years, like around 30 years. Like now it's like this timeline is actually like there. And it's like, what could I do when I'm like 72 that nobody cared I was still doing, you know? <laughs> and and a lot of my friends said, you got to get into real estate. Like I have all these friends in California that own their own brokerages that says, you know, you know, get your license, get your license. So, and on top of that, I was, when I was working on the TV show Grimm up here um, a couple of years ago and they shot in Portland, it was on NBC, the show, I was just a day player and I had like a couple lines um, with the main actor, but one of the co-stars that was, the guest stars that was working that, that day, he was in, he's been in everything. Um, he's been in like Iron Man and American Sniper and Central Intelligence, like He's not a famous person, just a character actor that just happens to always play like FBI agents and military people, you know? I love those guys. They're so much fun to talk to. Yeah, so we were talking and um, he and he was mentioning also to the lead actor of the show, Grimm. He says, oh, no, no, my full-time career is a real estate agent down in Los Angeles. And I started thinking, that that's really interesting. And then there was this whole world of like all the uh, Mexican soap opera um, TV stars down in Mexico uh, the Televisa uh, shows, they are weren't unionized until just recently, like last year. So a lot of them would just be really famous, but they just were paid chicken scraps as actors for these shows. 
And then they would have to supplement their income either by taxi drivers or Uber drivers. But a lot of them were real estate agents. And I thought to myself, that is fascinating. And then I met somebody who's who's well known in the film education space as a legend. And he does this, you know, film education. But everybody's like, a, a, a buddy of mine pulled me aside. He goes, oh, man, you know, reality is that dude made so much money in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like you unveil, again, unveiling the secrets. It's the whole Wizard of Oz. Like, what's really mm-hmm. behind the curtain? And I thought to myself, that's really interesting. And this is where the big concept came in, which was like, if film is nothing more than an advertisement for something more expensive, um, instead of me, you know, um, making films to push a book that's only worth 20 bucks, you know, I go, can I s- switch out this, the same principles of the of the book of 20 bucks, but then what if I offered a service that's worth $10,000 or 5000 or whatever it might, and real estate has that ability to do that. So I've been, um, one, I had to become an agent, a broker, which I've done, which is why there's a hiatus. I had to learn how to, you know, work towards my license and learn how to become an agent. And I haven't even launched this, the second phase of it, which is where does the filmmaking come in? Well, the filmmaking comes in because I'm, I'm building this show called Around the Neighborhood with Scott McMahon. And that is where I, um, you'll have like this show online. It's very, instead of having a podcast series, it's going to be like a video series. Cause like, like I said, I made my career up here as a part-time actor in Portland and I've been paid as an actor, very minimal to be a spokesperson for other people's products, you know, all the time. And I was like, well, what's the difference in me just not being, just being an actor that's promoting my own business. So, and it's not like a, like a real estate show. It's just really walking around uh, different parts of the Portland neighborhoods and exploring really interesting stories. I'm just sort of the host and I get to interview and, and meet all these interesting people locally. But the end of it is the, uh, the soft sale of like, well, if you enjoyed this episode and you think this, isn't this you know neighborhood as charming as you know I thought it was? Um, then contact me at you know my real estate information. So so now I get to make like short little movies or a TV show that is promoting my real estate business. So that's sort of the whole concept. If films are an advertisement, what are you advertising? So now my films will be advertising a higher priced uh, um, service, which is the real estate service. And so that's why I've had this hiatus. <laughs> and so, um, and I, I plan, my initial feelings with the film trooper is like, I do have all these backup episodes I need to get out. You'll hopefully see in the next few weeks as they come out. Um, but I definitely want to come back and do like short seasons of like a, a, a condensed topic. So uh, it might be sort of sporadic. So I might come back and say, all right, <clears throat> welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to do a four-part series on something very specific. Like you're going to see a live like demonstration of how to call uh, film distri- distributors if that's where you want to go. Or Ooh, that's a good one. I like you know, that. Or like talking to an agent. Like how would you get an agent? You know, how do you um, as a writing agent, an acting agent, whatever, a director's agent, a, a, a director of photography agent, you know, things like that. So it might be specific. But um, it'd be fun to do something like that. So with that said, as we sort of go into the tail end of this um, session of this episode, I definitely wanted to talk about, which is what the whole topic was, what did I learn from my hiatus from Film Trooper? I I wanted to, the reason you're all on this. Hold on one second, Scott, my my daughter's going bananas. I don't know if it's getting on the line or not. One, One second.
so I live in this crazy neighborhood, and apparently somebody's like got a drum set and are shaking bells and walking around outside. And <laughs> that sounds like Portland. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I told you I live next to a wizard, and there's like what these, a uh, wizard. Yeah, so my my neighbor, he's got this kind of much bigger house next to me, this big lot, and he's like this. Um, I don't know what you call it, but he's like he calls himself a wizard, and he has like seances and rituals in his backyard, and it's all very like you know not scary or anything. He doesn't, but at the same time, it's pretty weird, and he he'll like do these chanting late at night. Oh my <laughs> I God. always have to warn people like if you see them doing like some kind of weird seance with a magical circle, don't be alarmed; they're harmless. <laughs> <laughs> My God, it sounds it sounds like Portland. Anyway, the yeah. <laughs> no, by all means, that's hilarious. Um, well, I was just mentioning that the, the really the because the, the title of this the episode or this series maybe part one. This is probably part two now. Um, what I learned from my hiatus from Film Trooper, I wanted to and have the reason you're on this episode is because you and I have been bantering back and forth because of our sessions in terms of the Accountability Academy. Um, of what we're applying to, um, from these other industries and how to apply them to um, everything from our private practice to the uh, the film industry itself or the, the films mm-hmm. that we're working on. So I thought it would be fun to sort of explore some of that um, if you're game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and, and that's, you know, everything that you've taught me, uh, like I, it was really weird because like Backyard Space Opera, I started it not like you, kind of like what you were saying, like, I didn't have a super end game in mind. I would just like, just going with it for for a bit, and then as I started my private practice, we, we we talked about it of how everything I've learned in backyard space opera could be directly applied to building my private practice, which is um called Beyond Behavior Therapy, and um, I just took the exact same playbook and and applied it in that direction, and it's worked really well, and and now I'm able to to marry the two together. And, and kind of make this kind of a super <laughs> yeah. endeavor. And, uh, but it's all the same techniques of, uh, that you've just described with the, the sales funnel and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I've tweaked it in my own direction in different ways, but at the same time, I feel like it's all very, um, at the base, the, the same thing. It's, and that's been huge to me is to, is to have it. Cause I've seen other people mm-hmm. struggle. Like I, I work with a lot of people who have gotten licenses and they've all had to get jobs essentially at, um, like detox centers and addiction centers, which is the, where the more of the money is in my field. And that, you know, because they, they're not able to do a private practice because it takes so much marketing and so much of the stuff that's beyond the training yeah. of, a, of a therapist. But because I had you and, and I developed it through Backyard Space Opera, I was primed and ready to, to, to move into my, my practice. And, and it's been huge and I, I it's great. <laughs> No, it's actually really fascinating you said that. It's like, you're right. There's not, as artists, you know, as uh, filmmakers, or like you said, in your, your, the practice that you've gone into the industry, it's that aspect of the business part, um, basic business marketing and, um, um, I guess, sales is not there. I mean, because that, that's a whole other skill set. That's why different companies have like, here's our sales department. And there's, and believe me, in most, every, under, every industry that has salespeople, there's always like the true people that are doing the work, <laughs> the, the sales enablers, people that are help that, and all these people that have to do all the work, look at salespeople like, why are they making all the commissions? Like I'm doing all the work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just that because there's this, there's this sales uh, training and there's this scale, sales skill set that has to happen. 
Um, and, um, you know, now that I'm in that world now a little bit more with real estate and, you know, I'm looking at it like, well, how do I not be that sleazy sales real estate broker? You know, it's like, cause mm-hmm. I, I hate that is that's one of the reasons I hate, you know, real estate brokers is because of uh, the people that act that way. And like, how do you not do that, um, for your clients and the people that you help out? So, yeah. So now we can sort of apply all this stuff and you're, you're right. Cause you mentioned like what your experience was with backyard space opera and applying that to the private practice. It's like, okay, this is applicable, like applicable, <laughs> I can't even speak, yeah. but you know what I mean? It, it works. It works. And actually it's funny because you, you know, let's, we could talk about entrepreneurship. Like I think all of us know like one or two people growing up that just have made it very successful as a business person, you know, and mm-hmm. whether or not they, they just always had that, they're always doing something sometimes they're not always the best students. Like I look back, I go, some of the people that weren't the best students are, are amazing business people now. They do making tons of money. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's a whole. I could go on that for hours. About <laughs> education, because you know, I've that's my background, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Um, then I look back at things like that. You know, I um, my dad was an artist, and it was like it's you know, and I looked at another friend of mine. Like he grew up, his whole world was like business and real estate. You know, so like by the time he was out of high school into college, like that was his, his bag. Like that was his world. It was an easy transition into the world of like business. Um, for an artist to like learn business, it's, uh, and not having that background like this, like I'm one of the only members of my family to sort of venture out any sort of thing that's entrepreneurial ever. So it's like, not like I have this extended, uh, outreach to other people. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to break a mold a little bit in my family so that my daughter sees it and maybe, you know, her kids or my grandkids will see here, there's an opportunity here because um, it's just that it didn't exist in my world. So all the stuff I was kind of learning in the last few years. and um, But I, I'm comforted to know that they say things like sometimes with entrepreneurs or pe- business people is that it's not always sort of the first one that they venture into that they're successful. It's always like the third, fourth iteration of whatever they're trying yeah. that actually connects. I mean, Walt Disney was famous because he was fired at his, uh, the, his, his job because he couldn't draw. They said he couldn't draw cartoons and he probably couldn't maybe, I mean, whatever, but like he, and he lost his business. He actually went bankrupt with his first one, his first, uh, animation business, the adventures of Alice you know, where he created, you know, and then Oswald, he lost the rights to his Oswald, the rabbit character. So by the time he made Mickey Mouse and what we know of Disney, it was like, there's a lot of failures, you know, a lot of things that didn't quite work <laughs> to make, finally make it work for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, somebody like, like I said, my friend Alex Ferrari of Indie Film Hustle, um, the word hustle is is inbred in that guy. Like from early on, like some of the stuff that he would do as a young young man in, in Miami and, and working as a filmmaker, but a lot of his entrepreneurial mindset, just the hustle they did, he, it was just ingrained in him, which is why it's no surprise to me to see indie film hustle blow up the way it has. Um, for me, like I look at it, like Film Trooper was sort of like, kind of like my first foray into all this stuff. So I feel like I've had modest success um, um, with the outreach that it's had, the reach that it's had, as well as the sale of the book, because it's a self-published book. It's not published by a publisher. And to be able to say it's, you know, um, I think the last I saw was almost like, you know, I think the book is sold at almost like $20,000, you know, in, in yeah, worth of copies. Now, to, to step back and go, it's not like, you know, that's over time. It's not like you can make a living off it. But the the overall revenue and sales of that book 
if I said, I did this, I wrote a book, I self-published it, and we made sales um, uh, revenue about twenty thousand dollars. People are like, well, that's damn pretty good, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> actually, it made you know the book made more money than my movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people would be. I think people would be stoked if they're like, my movie made. I made it for five thousand dollars, and we made twenty thousand dollars, man. The fact in the film world, if you break even, you're considered a success. <laughs> yeah. As long as you don't lose money, you're considered a success. And that's what's crazy about it. Like if you make a profit, then you're, oh, man, you're kind of a rock star in the film business, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, and, and I I think I find it so fascinating, the film industry. And it's like I don't have any real desire to be a, like the traditional fee-paid um, employee, even though I kind of am now, which is kind of weird, but, um, <laughs> it, it's so fascinating to me. Like, I loved your, 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 uh, podcast about, um, going to the independent film. Oh, the American uh, market. film market. Yeah. The American, yeah. American film market. But, yeah. And it makes me like, I want to be one of those guys who goes and just buys movies and sells them overseas and makes deals. Like that's where the money, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild, but, but that's sort of like real estate really. It's to, to apply the different world. In, in the world of the American film market, the people that are buying and selling film, they're just brokering deals. And uh, and I love this story because this, this is actually sort of um, a friend of mine who was on, like you've heard before, Scott Kirkpatrick, who's actually in that field, in the business. He buys and sells films and brokers deals. Um, and he kind of relayed this story to me. It was just like, this is sort of a real world situation where a producer slash distribution company has a relationship with an international film buyer and in this case it would be like japan and they know that japan always loves big monster films like and so the american producers distribution company had their art department create a a poster of a big monster destroying a city that was it that was the they don't have a script they don't have a movie they just have a relationship and they brought it to the the um the uh the Japanese buyers and the Japanese buyers said, that looks great. If you can make that film and deliver it to us in X amount of months, um, we'll pay you $2 million for that. So everybody thinks like the movie is going to be made for $2 million, but that's not how money is made in this industry. The money is made because those distribution companies and producers will uh, pocket one and a half million dollars, decide to make the film for only $500,000. And then, um, so again, if you are someone who works in that industry as a screenwriter or a director, photographer, or an actor or director, you realize like, well, it's a $500,000 monster movie. <laughs> you don't know that the deal was brokered for a lot more and that the producers are, are in the, the company is pocketing $1.5 million. They don't make the film. They just brokered the deal. So now all these people are you know, killing themselves to make a half a million dollar monster film in a very short time frame. They de- deliver the film, and maybe the Japanese buyers don't even care to look at the film. They just want to see that it exists, and there's a cool poster. And they hand the $2 million over because that was part of the agreement. You know, lawyers signed it and all that kind of stuff, and it was a deal. So producers yeah, producers yeah. and dis- distribution companies, they that's just one deal. What if they do the same thing in the course of a year for, um, you know, 10 films like that? They're going to make a several million dollars where everybody else is just making a fee. Everybody's making a fee based off these small budget films. And that is the how somebody like Harvey Weinstein made all their money. Yeah. And, so. and it's and it's I think I find it like tragic in that people who are the creatives and who, who love movies end up 
you know, they don't get the big return like the people who who just are looking to maximize profits do. And um, I was reading the the biography of um, a guy from Orion Pictures. Oh, mm-hmm. I can't remember his name. But um, he was describing, you know, he was the head of Orion Pictures. He was the head of Columbia Pictures. And he was talking about how he really wanted to green light movies that he, he believed in. And he wanted to kind of have a creative input. And he made Rocky and he made you know, uh, science of the lambs and, and all these fantastic movies, but all his companies went bankrupt and he, <laughs> and he, he couldn't, he couldn't do it because he couldn't make enough money, even though he made all this fantastic art and the, the junk stuff makes so much more money. And it's, it's right. If you look at the, the library of films that Orion put out, you know, from the eighties and nineties, it was amazing. Amazing. And it went bankrupt. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. It's crazy. So, with that stuff learned, I guess lessons learned or applying that um, in the real estate world that I had to learn was you're brokering a deal. You're you, you're helping uh, risk management um, for some for a very high you know value probably the most expensive thing most people would be paying for in their lives ever a home. So the, in in all states, the the reason the realtors are there is because like the state um, needs to have protection in place for licensed law and they they put a lot like you know in your profession you have to keep your license up because it's it's all designed to protect the public so uh, brokers are there to help protect the public from you know deals that could go awry if it's just the buyer and the seller Um, unfortunately in the world of real estate everybody is an independent uh, contractor and everybody has their own way of running their own business. And even though they are beholden to certain license laws per state and, and general federal laws, um, you get like you only you get like a small percentage of them that sometimes do things you know unethically, and they will lose their license. But what it does is taints the industry. And and so the National Association of Realtors are. A, a force that is supposed to put that stuff into place. And it's funny, you don't really have, you have a union for film producers, but you don't really have, um, like their organization is not like, like with the National Association of Realtors, like if certain agents are doing things uh, against the law unethically, they will be barred. You know, they lose their license and unable to practice any real estate you know and so there's there's sort of the accountability for that it's interesting in the film industry you don't have that it's not like the director's guild or the producer's yeah. guild is coming after certain producers for all these shenanigans or like unethical sort of deal making uh they, it's they don't operate that way it's really you know it's uh, it's kind of interesting um i'm not too sure what is it like your industry too i, I do you have a, a high re- set of regulations on you guys don't oh. you yeah, we do. I mean, it's it's pretty much like like you were describing with the realtors. It's very regulated in terms of you have to. I mean, there, like I said, there are unethical behaviors going on, and then it's highly policed in in a lot of ways, and they lose their license. And um, you know, there is an association to help people, um, you know, defend themselves appropriately. But there's no like with the film industry, like it's you know winner take all kind of system. It's it's much, it's much more. Um, medical driven you know like the that that field so yeah that makes sense so the interesting thing when i learned about the real estate world is like it's been around for a long time so there's a lot of been proven things that work or don't work and but there's also just a lot of noise like it, you you got to just pick and choose the kind of um real estate professional you're going to be and um 
there's something to the power of the follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we talked about it earlier, the sales funnel, about, you know, online, you, there's a, a lead magnet that's created, something of, of interest or value that you're exchanging for an email that you're, you're trying to build a lead. In the world of real estate, uh, leads are you uh, when you go to open house. You know that realtor is hoping to meet people that are in need of buying a home or selling a home, and then um, making that contact and and doing the follow up. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of realtors make their business off the the concept of the referral industry. So I mean their their whole business is based off them doing a good job for a friend, and then that friend telling all their other friends that no they they did a good job for me. And then the referral, referral, referral. And so that is really the core for probably 75% of most realtors. Um, some of the more savvy realtors out there have a bigger real estate team. They're using internet marketing. Or when you jump on sites like Zillow or Trulia, Trulia they are paying like a ton of money to those websites like Zillow and Trulia just to, to be able to advertise on that, that platform. Um, so... It's one of those things like they pay to play. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the so it's interesting because I, I have to kind of figure out all that stuff works out. But how could it be applied to the film industry? What's interesting, if filmmakers are listening and they're trying to get a movie made or they're trying to get the right contacts in place, you know, the, the right networking in place. Uh, say they're, they're trying to make a contact with distribution companies if they choose to go down that path. Um, the reality is, is just making the first initial contact uh, of just, you know, making, befriending certain people at all these different companies and that you're not like some crazy person and maybe you don't even have a film. Maybe you're, you're just trying to figure out um, what they're looking for and then, um, and if you're a producer that can deliver them a film like that, if you built a relationship over time and that's, when I say over time, it's the equivalent of the follow-up. And that's one thing I learned about real estate. It's the power of the follow-up. I did an open house back in July, and I just kept in contact with this um, this this married couple, the young married couple, over time, over time, just you know, every month or every other month, just check in with them. And then, but I try to give them a piece of value every time I talk to them, something that would be beneficial. Well, just because I never gave up. You know, I finally had another meeting with them and now, you know, I'm helping them find a house. But that took how many months to make that happen? So I saw that the in a lot of other cases too, it's the it's it's the power of the follow up. And that is could be easily applied to any filmmaker out there who who is working as a film producer. Um, is somebody understands the power of the follow-up, maybe a follow-up with a certain star or a certain agent or a certain manager or a certain, you know, film company or whatever it might be. Don't take no for the first time as the answer, unless it's like a really hard no. But one of those things, like there's a way to keep following up, to keep checking in that eventually, you know, you're becoming top of mind or like if you made all these relationships with certain distribution companies, that you're like, oh yeah, yeah. So how's the things going? How's that film you're working on? Well, we just finally finished. We'd love to have you take a look at it. Well, we'd love to because you've, you're not coming out of the blue. You know, you're like, I've taken the time to build up a relationship with you. So the follow-up I have with you, it's like um, I think I have something of value that we can maybe work some deal out or whatever it is. So that's one thing I learned from the real estate industry that could be applied to the film industry. And then we talked about this in one of our sessions because uh, you have to, you have an interesting thing where you, you can't use testimonials from your patients because it's, 
you know, patient uh, doctor sort of confidentiality. Um, but there's different ways to follow up with certain people. So they're top of mind. Um, yeah. Talk about your, your situation. Well, and it's so, yeah, I have to, I follow up has been this huge for me too. And, and, you know, we've talked about how it's important for me to follow up and I, and I have these referral sources and I have different ways that I follow up and I'm, and I'm constantly trying to find, and we've talked before, like I do have these limitations on certain ways, but then there's other ways to go to follow up with potential, not only referrals to give me direct clients, but also referrals of, like you said, like developing relationships that will blossom over time. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting talk here. You talk about, cause I'm reminded of with backyard space opera. I mean, I would meet people through the podcast and I had relationships and I, and I still do. And I try to follow up with them when I can, but there's some that are like potentially very, you know, powerful relationships with like, you know, d- directors and producers and things. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, that's not my goal. I don't want to become a filmmaker in that way. I'm, I'm, I'm a therapist and, and I've actually reached out to people who I know who do want to be filmmakers. And I've said things like, Hey, I have these contacts and they're really great, but I don't have time to follow up because I have all these other follow-ups I have to do. Um, would you like to kind of be partnerships and you can, this could be for you too. And you know, nobody's really taking me up on it. It's so interesting. And I have, I've had a, uh, one guy, um, Dakota Morgan, who's, who's great young, young guy. And He's got that hustle and he's been follow up on his own ways. And, and I've, we, we did a thing together recently, but, um, it, so many people don't, don't seem to like, I'm giving him in your lap. Here's a follow up to a director who's a studio director. Oh yeah, that'd be great. I'll do that. It's like, well do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's, it's been fascinating to me and I, and I, but I have so many, I can't, I can't actually do it. And it's, and I've been struggling to pick and choose the right ones and how to do it. And that's been my struggle. Yeah, it's um, well. Actually, it's funny you said that. The struggle is, I think Warren Buffett had this um, this quote, or people to quote him as saying, like Warren Buffett, how did he become like the richest man in the world? Like, how did he do what he did? And uh, he was, he said, I just did um, the right things more often. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so dumb, but it's 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 and so like simple in a way. Like, do the right things more often. And it's interesting because when we, you and I get together, we're paring down this, the, the, um, really trying to dissect and unpack really what's going on so that, um, there's that whole Pareto's principle, the 80, 20 rule, meaning that 20% of everything that you do will have actually 80% of the results of whatever you're trying to do. So that means like 80% of your time only gives you 20% results back, like a return on investment. So if you get focused more on really laser focus on what is that 20% that always gives you 80% return back, that is sort of the right thing. And Warren Buffett does more often that stuff than other people. And so for your situation, you're like, well, how do you do lead generation for a private practice in a sense? Like how do you, and we talked about um, partnerships, people that will refer you, other, other professions that could prefer you where you are unable to uh, do so um, because you can't violate sort of uh, uh, patient testimonials and things like that. So, you know, you might be working with a hospital or something 
Uh, and because you've taken the time to do follow-up with uh, people at our hospital and certain profession, uh, professionals in the hospital um, always know that you're around and you have a specialty that you do with uh, you know, uh, children with special needs and so on like that um, and counseling, they're going to refer you over some other people because you've taken the time to follow up, stay on top of mind. And the difference is you've done more of the right things more often than if you were doing a blanket like shotgun approach uh, um, on Google, you know, ads, AdWords, you know, or something, you know. Yeah. So the thing about real estate, it's the same way. It's like, you know, there's there's a concept like you're supposed to just make sure that you're taking care uh, you know, you, you, everybody, all your friends and family know that this is what you do. Like, so ref, ha, please have them refer people to you. But then you're still kind of like, not everybody's always in the mood or in the ready to make a, you know, to sell a house or buy a house. So if you spend 20% always going towards people that are always looking to like, you know, buy or sell the house, um, there's, um, there's things like that. There's they call them fizbos in real estate. There's just people that sell their homes called for sale by owner because they don't want to pay a, a large fee to the realtor. They're like, you know, what? I'll do it on my own. <laughs> yeah. And so, which is understandable. Why not? If you know, if you think that you know the 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 the, the fees or the commission is too high, um, commissions. By the way, we I we find out that it's all always all of it across the country is 100 percent negotiable. So there is no standard commission. <laughs> So with that said, um, there's this thing that the realtors are, are um, a small group of them focus on trying to work with uh, for sale by owners, um, meaning that try to hopefully get them to have them represent them so they can you know sell the house for them and then earn a commission that way. The the thinking there is like if realtors are always looking around like where who's the next this is what I hate about realtors is they're always, they're always talking about deals, but this is the same thing in the film industry. If you meet certain producers, they're just, they're not filmmakers. They're just looking to make the next deal. They're the people selling the monster movie to Japan that that have no script or have no, you know, movie made. They're the ones looking, the the high they get is like, I got to make the deal. I got to make this million dollar deal. I got to make this million and a half dollar deal. And in real estate, it's like, I got to make this deal. I got to sell this house. I got to, you know, I got to make this, I'm just looking to close deals. You know, they're not, they're not even thinking about helping the family. They're not even thinking about, you know, all those types of things. They're just thinking about, you know, closing a deal. And so I can't stand that kind of stuff. So I rather, I focused on just truly just helping people, the family. So my goal has to be look at like people who are selling their homes um, on their own that, if they truly want to sell their house in their home, how can I help them? And then the difference is if if it's a way to – if it comes around where like they're just – it looks too big of a job for them to do, then I'm there because I haven't forced them or made them feel pressured in using an agent or shame them thinking that they really should use an agent or something like that because all these tactics that they have that it's – and um, that I don't like that there's another way to approach it. But the difference is – Doing the right things more often is instead of trying to find um, people that might be selling their home or buying a home, you go straight to the horse. I mean, you go right to the well, I meant, you know, it's like the well is like, here's somebody who says, I am selling my house and I'm doing it on my own. <laughs> yeah. You're, it's like a sign that says, well, if you're doing your own, good luck to you. Let me see if we can help you. And if mm-hmm. it gets to a point where... You don't want to do it anymore. I hope that I've earned your loyalty or referrals. Maybe like because they might have a friend that wants to sell their house, but they don't want to do it on their own. So, but if 
this person says, you know what? I sold my house on my own, but this agent helped me out quite a bit. And he was, he wasn't salesy. He never came off pressure. I, you know, let me refer you to that person. So the, what it is now I'm playing the odds game. I'm playing the, the, the numbers game saying this is, if I spend more time in this, in this world, helping those people, there's a better chance I'm going to sell more houses than if I'm just sort of hoping and always looking and listening to see if anybody's in the, in the market for selling, you know? So it's, so that's the world that I learned or what I've learned about the real estate industry. One of many, many things, but how can that be applied to the film industry is simply again, knowing like if you're going to make a film and you want to get distribution, uh, like a true, a good distribution deal is to make those do the follow up with all these distribution companies and make the relationships to then find out, like really what they want and then deliver, you know, like, so if you make a film, like, you know, we were talking and then you guys were looking for like, um, an urban zombie film. I go, well, we actually made one. I think it's, it, it, it'll probably fit the bill. Oh, great. So it's like, now it's like, it seems effortless. Like you've, cause you've taken the time to lay down the groundwork as, as opposed to making one and then shopping around and, and wasting all your time wasting 80% of your time only get 20% results versus if you had a concentrated 20% of your efforts to the right type of partnerships will get you to where you want to go. Um, Stephanie Palmer, who's the um, founder and the writer of Good in the Room, and she has her site and her services helping writers, screenwriters out. She talks about it. It's like the reality is, is once you get in the room to pitch your story or your ideas, the real- it's very rare that right there in the spot somebody says, I love it. Let's make your movie. And here's all the money, you know? He goes, that initial meeting is just to try to get the next meeting. (laughs) Right. It's the the beginning of the relationship. Yes. So, and that's something that is is constant through all industries, like your industry uh, of the private practice, my industry. And then, like I said, we, we are seeing the film industry part of it. But we, like I said, we have chosen to create, take our creative needs, um, Combine it into a, a field that actually commands um, um, more money on an independent level. For you, it's your private practice. For me, it's my uh, real estate services. So now we can talk about how do you bridge the gap between this creative need to make these films and then this world that's not actually in the film industry, but there's a there's a through line. There's a it, it, when we actually line them up, we're like, oh, that, that makes sense. This actually can work this way, especially if the concept is all films are an advertisement for something else. So how are you doing with backyard space opera and your private practice and the book you wrote? Yeah, I mean, well, and it's for me being a, I was a teacher for a long time, and I actually have always been involved it loved movie production and things especially sci-fi and fantasy and my very first teaching job i started a club to make cheesy monster movies and when i started working at the special ed school for for kids with mostly on autism spectrum they i did the summer program where i did this and and it was really popular and and what happened was i see that a lot of the people who um I work with who can help in, in a lot of broad ways they, you know, the thing that I love this genre filmmaking and stories and stuff like that. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's a special kind of niche that we all share. And that has been my way to connect with them as a therapist and is about this stuff, the movies and video games and those kinds of stuff. And now, so I've just kind of made it more official and made it to where 
I'm putting it out there like I do this too. I can teach you. This is a way to connect. This is a way to learn these certain kinds of skills. I've embedded therapeutic approaches into it and it's made me um, stand out uh, from other therapists who work with kids because I have this specialized kind of approach that's about making sci-fi and fantasy movies. And uh, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not going to give me every kid, but it's it's giving the kids who I relate to the most and who I can help the most. And it's been this great connection, which I didn't even really plan uh, <laughs> originally. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's uh, it, it, so then now, you know, beyond just the marketing of my private practice using the, the, the marketing techniques for Backyard Space Opera, I've, I've kind of embraced in the idea that uh, I can put my creative energy into uh, helping other people share their work. And, and that's what I found that I love the most is if I find somebody who they have a passionate idea, I can inspire them and help them and and maybe do what I can to, to add to their projects. And, and that's been really how I felt fulfilled in, in, in this in my creative needness, <laughs> if mm-hmm, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's it's something unique, but it definitely lines it up because um, I, I remember you and I were talking and and, and you know. I remember seeing that, like, well, how can you combine the two? Because you're already doing it. There's a passion behind both of them. And mm-hmm. we discussed about what Film Trooper, you know, is becoming. And in, in, in that sense, it's that, you know, the the podcast will exist and have some sort of semblance um, in, in trying to they can move forward with, like, uh, extreme value in, in short pockets of episodes moving forward. But how I apply what I learned from Film Trooper, so, like, you know, writing the book was sort of an exploration of these these uh, discoveries, and then this second half of the journey of Film Trooper is sort of the application of all that knowledge. We talked about it again, Bruce Lee. Knowing is not enough; you must apply. So it's an application of this knowledge. And you know, I had written. You know, people are asking, "When's you gonna make the next film? When are you gonna make the next film?" Because I made the Cube, and then you know, for those who follow Film Trooper, I had this exploration of application of this process. Um, taking something from uh, Pixar, where they have the um, um, oh god, what do they call it? The, the brain, brain trust. trust. Yes, brain trust. <clears throat> so it's sort of like they get together and they collectively hammer out the story, uh, you know, as a group, but in a, in an interesting, unique way. So we had um, Rob Edwards on. Let me double check my podcast real, real quick because mm-hmm. I want to make sure I get what the episode it was. It was. Um, it was one of my favorites. It's uh, Ricky Gab. Sorry about it. <clears throat> Everybody's hanging in there with me. Uh, where is it? Did it go? It was a maybe fast. Maybe after a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I, <think laughs> I was. Like, it was. Yeah, look at me. Sure. Look at uh, yes, Rob Edwards, number episode one hundred five. It's like what happens in a Pixar brain trust meeting with Disney screenwriter Rob Edwards, and he explains what happens. And so I wanted to apply what he shared with us and it got to the point where i got the other some other uh, filmmaking podcasters together and and not only did i made it easy for them i said look i wrote the next script for my next movie so everybody's like okay cool when's you're gonna make the next movie well here it is me making the next movie for you but first let's make sure the script is okay you know because when i made the cube i was thinking like cool, I did it, you know, <laughs> um, it, you know, the story was a, had a beginning, middle and end. And, but I was thinking to myself, okay, if I can make this story even better, like really, really strong, then it could, the next effort could be even better. 
so then I started to do that. I make this that and I started making the genre film a more uh, horror based, you know, uh, genre as opposed to this weird genreless movie I made with a cube. Um, so I made the I wrote the script and then I did I was making trying to make it easy for everybody. And I had so much fun doing the audiobook for my book, and I'm running a podcast. I decided to do an audio presentation of my script. So people have table reads where they have actors come together and a narrator, and they all read it out loud so you can hear what the script sounds like. Well, I decided to do all the parts myself, but then add music and sound effects. So you can actually find that um, that whole episode back in one number 112, which is What If Your Script Sucks and How to Fix It, part two. <laughs> I, I love that episode. I did it. one of my early podcasts was uh, we we talked about your your script. It was, it was great. <laughs> so yeah, I remember that you had me on. I was just, uh, thank you so much. But what was fun about that was I got this reaction where people got some good jumps scares out of it here and there. It got creepy, but overall, it left general enough people sort of like eh, it's missing. Like it's, it still needs work. And you can think about this: how many films have we seen? Like we just thumbing through Amazon or iTunes or Netflix. And you're like, you're watching it like, cool, I saw that movie, but it seems like they could have done this to it. You know, they could have fixed this or they could have done that. Like it's like some movies you watch are like, it's eh, it's just, it's, there's some things I could have done better. Well, imagine if I had taken, you know, uh, the small amount of money I had to make the second film and I made it the way that it sounds and people were like, oh, it's cool. Scott made a second film. Yeah, it was okay. You know? Yep. <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't have to I didn't have to make the second film when I already saw and heard that it wasn't quite resonating, you know? So I was like, shoot. So I spent a lot of time going back to that script and hammering away, hammering away. And I was like, that comes to the point where like maybe this is not working. like maybe this thing just is not happening and you know there's another aspect to it which is like that's when i could so my my dad my dad passed away and they gave me a different perspective it was like i gotta get back to creating like a a a base sort of uh career um you know uh because i have family and i have like this long-term plan in place because when I made the cube, I was working a full time job, and it was fun because I did it on the nights and weekends, and that sort of drove me. Um, when that tenure ended, and I've been bouncing around like with with acting, it's sort of like you never know when the work is coming in, and uh, it's up and down. And I was only making so much off of off Film Trooper; it wasn't supplementing it was sort of that full time uh, full time income, which is why I decided into real estate is like let me make that sort of the full-time job and then to get back to making the movies on the nights and weekends which actually because they're two different skill sets i think i'd actually commit to it because like i think if i had like it's one of those things like you hear is that engineers if you told them you have an unlimited budget and unlimited restrictions you know make this thing happen they wouldn't know what to do but engineers are more effective if you say here's the limitations here's the, the budget limitations and the um and the um, you know the the restrictions of the project, and they, that seems to always come into play as something that people can work under the constraints. Absolutely, I actually have a buddy of mine who is an engineer, and uh, we we call him the engineer on our podcast. <laughs> whenever we need to, we're like, oh, this will be for the engineer because it's like he he's told us he's like, look, I'm not creative like you guys in the story aspects, but if you need something specific, and you can tell me I need this, this, and this, I can do that for you. Yeah, so he's our go-to guy for that. <laughs> 
So it's funny. So one of the things that uh, that I that so I've been building that up. So it's but but in order to promote uh, the real estate business, I mentioned I I have to use film content, um, and because I'm running my own business, I can get as creative as I want. It doesn't have to fit into this sort of pigeonhole, which is that's what's exciting about it. Like I haven't had an uh, like I'm just. I'm just planning right now. I'm doing like the storyboards and stuff for like all the all these episodes that I'm putting out like, that I'm going to make and produce. But now that's getting exciting because like now, now that I understand what my job is as a real estate agent, I know that I can do a good job helping you know buyers and sellers of homes. Um, but the fun part is like, well, how do you generate the uh, interest in the lead? lead generation the prospects of the stuff that you're selling and now that's the fun part that's the movie making part you know that's the Mm -hmm. creative part so um that's how i'm applying it but there's one aspect of film trooper that i really love doing which is i created the film trooper academy for young people for aspiring young filmmakers and those who followed again follow me on film trooper know that um on our youtube channel um you know, we have a few episodes where i got i'm sorry i gotta take a call real fast and sure sorry Yeah, are you coming home now? Okay, sounds good. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. No, no, no. We'll wrap up here. We're about ten minutes, like less than ten minutes out. Like I said, this is right. this could be a two parter. So yeah. thank you for hanging in there with me. No, it's great. Um. Anyway, so I was mentioning one of the great things I loved about film troopers, like working with the film trooper academy, the young people, and um, and we have like so one of the aspects of it's interesting about real estate is that they always see realtors like they suggest that they do something for the community, some sort of community outreach that they sponsor. That's why you see like realtors like sponsoring like softball games or some football game at the high school or something like that, you know, or they they hold like the, the annual egg race or something in the neighborhood for Easter or something like that. Yeah. Um, the difference is my uh, community outreach would be these half-day film schools uh, presented by Film Trooper, but, but it's actually presented by my real estate uh, company or by me. So if people see that I have a video show that uh, called Around the Neighborhood with Scott McMahon that promotes my real estate business, um, they know that it's um, part of the Film Trooper Academy. Like, you know, how do you do this? How do you do your videos? So now I can extend that out to the community by saying, well, I'll teach you in a half day, you know, for four hours. I'll teach you how a film school. And it'd be initially for the young people. But it's um, but I know that a lot of adults, you know, want to take the course because I already have interest. So I've already accumulated interest because of what I did with the Film Trooper Academy, the kids. And now it's like I get to do that part, which I really love about the Film Trooper is the Film Trooper Academy. And but it just it just happens to be sponsored by the real estate, you know, part of my career. <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's just because because it's it's all in connection with each other. It's like, hello, my name is Scott McMahon. I'm the host of Around the Neighborhood TV. You've probably seen my some, some of my stuff, as well as you know the host of the Film Trooper podcast. And here we are with the Film Trooper Academy presenting the uh, Half Day Film School. In four hours, we're going to learn everything you need to know about filmmaking, and we start now. So, 
I have these exercises and things in the curriculum um, we talked about um, working with kids in four hours, make it super fun. And then I can do the same thing, apply it to the adults. And the idea is that knowing that a lot of adults will just want to know how do you do this type of stuff if I'm going to advertise for my baking company or my hairdressing company? Like they just want to know how to make videos and, and things yeah. like that. And so now I could now I'm a partnership within the community of other business owners or people like that, but they know that I buy and sell houses. So it's like one of those things like, okay, now it's all kind of coming together. Um, but the plan is in place. Now it's execution. (laughs) Now, now we talked about the real hard thing, which is the daily execution. We talked about at the beginning of the show of just time management, time blocking. And, um, you and I have discussed this in depth about what we're realistically capable of doing. Um, I joke like, like I am no Alex Ferrari of indie film fossil. Like, I don't know where, I think he has a clone and the amount of stuff he does. And he, every time we get together, he just laughs about all this stuff. Um, but the, the truth is, um, there's only so much effectiveness that we have and trying to get better, you know, because again, we're, you and I are trying to focus on that 20% that will yeah. give us 80% of the results back. Um, so what have you noticed that have helped you focus on getting, not to say that you're an expert at it, but just what things have you changed or you've applied that have, have you seen some good results that try to always fight for having better, better, better time management? I, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of, so I guess one of the great ones for me has been to create, uh, deadlines for mm-hmm. myself and like, because I have, I have several advanced degrees and people sometimes have to like, you know, how did you, you get all these, these degrees, you know, do you have to be smart? They're like, well, no, like the, when you go to these programs, they give you deadlines or like do this much reports and these many works by this deadline. It's like, great. And I'm really good at that. I can, I can hit deadlines. When it's just me, I have a hard time doing that. So what I've done is is been effective. Is like I create like um, like right now I'm doing WonderCon um, a table there, and that's pushed me to like I have to get all this stuff done before WonderCon, mm-hmm. have it ready. And so like because I'm launching my my new training program, my expanded training program, and I was like I have to have my office set, I have to have this materials ready, I have to have the new website up, and I'm like most of the way there. But I know it's like next week is a deadline and I'm going to just crank it out. To, and that's what helps me make sure I'm hitting these benchmarks the most is, is creating something to be to be a deadline for it. That's yeah, because it's real. Because like if you had like a, I think deadlines like especially even a self-employed or, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a solo entrepreneur, solopreneur. Because, you know, if you're on a job. Like if you get a job or if you're like on a film, like there's no messing around. Like here it is. Here's the deadline. And then you're you're able to like laser focus and like just get the job done. Yeah. When you like we talked about that, the engineer that it has a limited budget, limited scope, they can do any they can really do it. But they have unlimited budget, unlimited, unlimited scope. Then you're kind of like, uh, where do I start? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it's like we've been, I've been doing several of these 48 hour film projects and the guys <laughs> I work with, they're like that's like most of their films have been these because it forces you to get it done. And, it, and it's great. I mean, but it's, you know, you're also <laughs> doing n- not the same quality you could have done if you took like in the next film, this new project I'm working on with these guys, um, you know, it's not a 48 um, and it's taking much longer, but at the same time they're pushing me to be like, Hey, remember we're doing this at this time. Like, Oh yeah, that's right. Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, seriously. So, 
Um, I think for me, like the the big rigmarole was I didn't know really what, what my job was of the last few months. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like again, I think you know I was learning a new profession, so there was I felt a little lost and kind of get my head wrapped around how it works. But now it's come into laser focus, and then with the laser focus, it's just a plan, and then it's um, simplifying it. And, and simplifying to a way that feels like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is this is where I'm going to have the most energy. Because honestly, I think like if I go back to the script that I wrote, the 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 Ada script that I was working on that, that was supposed to be my second film, I had fun doing it. But I feel like in some ways that I was trying to write it to – like I wasn't really writing for myself anymore. I was trying to write it to a genre and write it to what I thought – is what needs to happen next, as opposed to just being like uh, blissfully just going. This this is what feels right right now. Like I need to write this one right now, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then let the passion sort of roll through it, and let 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 myself overcome the in the world of that 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 zone, um, and then put a deadline to it. And then I can you know meet it. Um, it felt you know. I don't know that explained it or anything like that, but I felt like yeah, I was because I mean, you're trying to like uh, write to the, uh, a winning formula, something you thought would be successful, as opposed to just uh, yeah expressing the thing you wanted to express. And it That's was what I'm hearing. yeah, and it wasn't working. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, and then like with the real estate now, it's like you know I I've been messing around with what's happened in the last few months is like what you don't see, what nobody hears about is like I've been testing and trying all these different techniques that would work in the world of real estate to see what will work with me. Because one of the things they really hammer into us is simply like, um, if you do, say you do open houses, like you really have to analyze the, the method and how you do your open houses. Are, in the end of the day, are you getting are you getting any business from it? If you're not, then stop doing open houses. <laughs> yeah, that's you. That was a big lesson to me too. I thank you for that one because I was doing things and like, why am I doing this? This is not helping. Yeah, you and they say like once you have some sort of success, like once you, in terms of revenue, like once you figure out I got a deal or I got clients from this way, what was that way? Analyze it, stop, and really think about where that where that came in, and then they said then you're supposed to put your effort behind that because if that worked for you once or twice, then you need to put more effort and concentration on advertising or developing a system to make that better as opposed to doing something that everybody else tells you to do that in terms of what you think conventional wisdom tells you to do but if you look at your own true returns aren't working then you've got to move on you know and i and i think that was a lot of what i was talking about with film trooper i would start some projects within film trooper and then stop because i was like the return is not happening you know, it's just not happening. Yeah. So you got to be able to cut, cut loose, you know? <laughs> well, and I think, I, I don't know how you felt this way, but like a lot of my projects that I started back at Space Opera, it's like, I, I could have seen them through and I, and I, a lot of them I am going to pick back up in certain ways, but at the same time, like that's going to be, you know, 60% of my time that I can allocate towards these fun kind of projects. And it's like, is, is that really the return that I want? And, and I had to decide it's just, it's not where I want to go. Like you said with Ada, it's just, it didn't feel, it felt like I'm just trying to put it in to make a formula as opposed to something I really wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, like it's run its course. Like I, like I I just couldn't make it work. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But you know, not to say like I haven't, I have a plan for that, um, that, that needs to be in, 
like invigorated by some other eyes on it. And I know the eyes, I want to have them look at it, you know? So it's one of those things like sometimes you take like an old idea that you're working on, maybe an old script you're working on, it's just not working. And you bring it to light to some new person that takes a look at it. And then all of a sudden it invigorates it. Like it just it, seems to connect. Yeah. And that's, let me think, see what you think. Cause that's actually something I've been toying with the idea of like, I have all these things and I like have these scripts. And recently somebody's like, I really want to do a project with you. And I, you know, they, I'm a novice and I want to do it. And I'm like, that's cool, but I don't have any time to like develop things beyond like this. And they're like, well, let me have a script and I'll read it and I will take the legwork and, you know, you, and I'll just kind of be the, the, the producer essentially. Mm-hmm. And I said, great. And so I gave them the script and it's like, I don't feel like it's my thing anymore. Now they can. And if I, if nothing's happening is I'm just kind of letting them decide the pace and, uh, it's made me feel good that the project is moving forward, but at the same time, I'm not in charge of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, you hear that all the time. I think like the famous, um, uh, what was it, the, what was this? Lawrence Kazan, the writer-director. He yeah. had the script for The Bodyguard on his shelf for, I don't know, like almost like 15 years before Kevin Costner brushed it off and said, let's rework this. And they made the the movie The Bodyguard. You know, it's like, (laughs) I mean, it happens all the time. So even if it happens to the big people, the big guys in the Hollywood system, it definitely could happen to this independence. So, but the difference is, you know, for us independents, you know, you and I are like, we have families, we have a livelihood, we want to, and we're working outside the system. So we have to get our home base taken care of. So if- Yeah, that's that's huge. I want to emphasize that. You hit it right there. Okay. <laughs> so, so the takeaway was like, let's just focus on that. Because I remember when we got together, the uh, the accountability weekly meetings were simply, you know, let's um, let's go ahead and, you know, focus on your film, get you in the film festival, get your podcast up and running. And then we realized there's something deeper going on, which is like, okay, you got to get your private practice up and running. But how are you going to apply all this stuff? And so we then focused on like, let's take care of home base first. And then I shared with you what I was going through, which is like, I'm going to take care of my home base first and then come back to Film Trooper. And um, the, the goal was always to use Film Trooper, the podcast, as a, a place to share these experiences so people can learn from, I don't know, I, honestly, it was supposed to be learn from all my follies, like all my mess ups. <laughs> so that, and then I, I would, you know, and, and moving forward. But yeah, that's really important because I mean, a lot of filmmakers that, out there that are just they just want to make their films they that's all they would love to do only that but sometimes we need to find some sort of source of stability or home base with my your, your full-time job or whatever your part-time job you're putting together um and use that as a source of inspiration to help propel your film projects you know moving forward like i said you found sort of a bliss in helping people because you already do it um, in a profession with your licensed career and now you're like, well, I'm applying it to the filmmaking world. And I think I can bridge those two things together and connect them. And um, and for me, I just I enjoy just creating stuff. But I want to be able to make sure what I'm creating leads to um, a through line that has a, a greater chance. Again, Warren Buffett's do the right things more often. I'm hoping that the right things is like the industry I'm in allows um, for a greater potential of uh, revenue stream in terms of my home base than where I was before. And so that's, I guess, the lessons learned. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it's 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 been, 
you know, everything we've, we've talked about has been life-changing for me. And I, I'm hoping other people can be inspired to know that it, it's, uh, I talk about it on my podcast all the time. It's like, you don't have to have it all or nothing. You can have a, a great career one way and then have your creative expression and, and merge together if you can or, or, or don't or find what works for you. Um, because, you know, going, you know, to Hollywood and to try to be in that system, it's tough. And, you know, I talk to people all the time who are in it. I'm not in it, but I kind of, you know, talk to them just casually. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a struggle. And I'm like, it's not what I would want. Um, and but you could still have today. The technology exists like your book describes. You can create something great and share without the system. You don't have to. Um, dig, 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 and push into that studio system if you don't want to. Yeah, I agreed. I think it's, and I think it's the perfect way to wrap up this special two-part series. On <laughs> <laughs> um, what you know, what what we learned, or what I learned from my hiatus from Film Trooper, and I hope that people got a lot of value out of this, and also sort of a connection because I think when we're candid this way and and we're not afraid to share, like you know, like hey, I'm not crushing it, like I'm not. You know, obviously the films I'm making aren't like changing the world, but that doesn't stop me from wanting to make more film content. You know, it's just that um, I have to change my plan a little bit. And if it means that I have to learn a new profession to do so, if there's a way to apply the two worlds together to move forward, um, then why not? You know, Um, and it's great to have you on because it's sharing uh, your journey as well so that I'm sure other people that are listening are maybe in the same boat or are at a crossroads where they're thinking like, okay, I'm not, I don't feel alone, you know, like mm-hmm. th- this, this makes sense to me. And, and we just keep, you just keep on keeping on, I guess. Exactly. And I, and I, and I, that's, that's been the best thing for me in doing my work is, is I, I really try to make a message in my podcast of we're all in this together and we all want to share and, and help each other. It's not a winner take all. It's not a zero sum game. It's we're all trying to support each other. And I think that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for spending this much time with me. I know two hours, and I think your dogs are ready to meet the wizard. Oh, I, I, I apologize for my <laughs> no, no. dogs. They're, they're just, they, you know, they have their own uh, agendas, unfortunately. <laughs> it's the wizard, my friend. It's the wizard. <laughs> film Trooper, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. 